This is Michael Soskel, 2017 Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year and finalist for the 2016 Global Teacher Prize. And you're listening to the New Teacher Podcast. The New Teacher Podcast. Get inspired. If you're a new teacher interested in hearing about the latest tips and tricks to inspire you in the classroom, you've come to the right place. The New Teacher Podcast features interviews with award-winning classroom teachers, the latest authors, and educational leaders recognized for their proven teaching techniques and strategies. Hear the stories of their success and failure. To listen to past episodes, view show notes, or to contact us, please visit our website at newteacher.org. Now here's your host, Anthony Arno. Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Arno, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast where we talk with the latest teachers of the year and educational authors to inspire you in the classroom. Today's guest is not only a Pennsylvania State Teacher of the Year, but he's also only one person out of 10 in the world to be nominated for the Global Teacher Prize. It's like the Nobel Prize and even includes a $1 million award. We'll talk with him and learn about some of the really exciting things he's done with his students. Hard to believe that we're approaching episode number 25 here at the New Teacher Podcast, but for that episode, we have a very special guest. Here's a clip. I wish my teacher knew that I love school. I wish my teacher knew my tooths were going. I wish my teacher knew that I think I'm really good at writing. It all started with one simple question. I wish my teacher knew that I didn't have as many friends as I thought I did. I wish my teacher knew that I don't like doing homework. One day, third grade teacher Kyle Schwartz asked her students to complete the following sentence. I wish my teacher knew. I wish my teacher knew that I am smarter than she thinks I am. I wish my teacher knew that I have ADHD and I'm different from everyone else. I wish my teacher knew that I'm not the happy person they see every morning. I wish my teacher knew talking with people who don't bully me makes my suicidal thoughts go away for a little. The results astounded her. After posting her students' responses online, the post went viral and a national movement was created. Her book, simply titled, I Wish My Teacher Knew, is the story behind that movement. I wish my teacher knew that I want to work at the dog pound so that I can help animals get adopted. I wish my teacher knew my grandfather died when I was in California. I started to cry because I want him to still be alive. I wish my teacher knew that I'm drowning in a sea of sorrow and they keep throwing me anchors instead of life preservers. I wish my teacher knew I've lived a hard life and I try my hardest and best to remain positive every second of the day. 
Don't miss Kyle Schwartz on episode 25 of the New Teacher Podcast with Anthony Arno. I wish my teacher knew when to keep teaching or to stop to tell us a story. I wish my teacher knew that sitting so long makes my legs hurt. I wish my teacher knew that I love her with all my heart. That's Kyle Schwartz, Denver school teacher and author of I Wish My Teacher Knew, coming up on episode 25 of the New Teacher Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by YouCanDoTheCube.com. It's the educational outreach program for the popular Rubik's Cube, which was invented by Hungarian architect Erna Rubik in 1974. Over 400 million cubes have been sold, making it one of the most popular toys of all time. And now you can use this popular icon of our culture in your classroom. You Can Do the Cube will provide you with a free loaner set of either 12, 24, or 36 cubes, along with an instructional DVD, curriculum guide, solution guide, posters, sign-out sheets, and certificates. And for a very limited time, if you use the coupon code PODCAST during checkout, YouCanDoTheCube.com will even provide you with a free return shipping label when you borrow up to 36 cubes, so there's absolutely no cost to you. I just got done using the program with my students, and I've had 92% of the class successfully complete the cube in five minutes or less. In addition, the kids designed a mosaic using 36 cubes, and we'll have a picture of that on the show notes page here at newteacher.org. And now, here's my talk with Michael Soskel, Pennsylvania's Teacher of the Year and finalist for the Global Teaching Prize. Well, today we have a very special guest. I've interviewed quite a few remarkable people on this show, quite a few state teachers of the year, even June Scobie, the widow of the Challenger space shuttle commander, Dick Scobie. But today I have a very special guest. His name is Michael Soskel, and in addition to being the current Pennsylvania State Teacher of the Year, he's also a finalist for the Global Teacher Prize, which we'll talk about. Michael, welcome to the New Teacher Podcast. Thanks for having me, Anthony. And, you know, after that introduction, I, I, I feel a lot of pressure to be really good today. So <laughs> I'll try and bring some good stories to the table tonight. <laughs> Michael, let's start with a personal story about a teacher that inspired you as a student. And what do you remember the most about them? Yeah, you know, I, I was a terrible student. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's an, an important part of my, my story as a teacher right now because uh, in a lot of ways, I, I didn't see the relevance of school. Um, I didn't do my homework. Uh, you know, I got decent grades because I was a pretty smart kid, but, um, you, you know, my, my effort just wasn't there, and I don't think I applied myself nearly as much as I, I should have. Um, and that wasn't the fault of my teachers. I had, I had some great teachers, uh, you know, throughout my school career, uh, whether it was growing up in New York or, um, you know, in my uh, home district of Wall and Paul Peck, where I teach now and, and where I graduated high school. But what... It, you know, I kind of stumbled into teaching. I, I wanted to coach soccer. Um, and so I chose teaching as a career probably for, for the wrong reasons. Uh, but once I got into the classroom as a student teacher, uh, my cooperating teacher, Anita Box, was the, the first person that really showed me uh, the, how inspirational and how amazing it could be uh, to be a teacher if you put your students uh, focused on uh, developing their passions and their talents. And so, you know, when people ask me that question, you know, name the teacher that really inspired you. 
uh, for me, it was it was really my cooperating teacher when I was student teaching. When's the last time you spoke to Mrs. Box? Uh, unfortunately, Anita passed away uh, probably, I don't know, four or five years now. Oh. Um, which, uh, you know, that was that was tough for not just me, but anyone that knew her. Um, she was just a, an amazing individual. And, you know, I was I was lucky not only to student teach with her, but also to work in the same district afterwards. Uh, and, you know, she was really she was really a mentor to me and showed me, you know, so many so many things about teaching that um, aren't obvious. You know, sure, I learned a lot about, you know, how to how to run a classroom and, and, you know, techniques that I use in my teaching today, but just how to be a professional um, and how to, how to deal with, you know, different personalities in a building and how to um, keep a positive outlook and, you know, most of all, how to, how to put your students first. Do you see yourself among your students when you were a student in school? Today? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's kids that, um, you know, maybe aren't exactly <laughs> who I was <laughs> when I was in school, but I certainly see some of the characteristics and, you know, as I said before, I was, I was disengaged as a student. And one of my motivations for, for teaching now, you know, when, when I look back at, you know, how, how blessed I am to end up in the classroom as a teacher, one of the things that really motivates me now is to make sure that my kids see relevance in why they're learning um, so that they don't have that same apathy towards school that I had when I was, uh, when I was that age. You know, I want them to come to school. You know, for, for me, when I was in elementary school, I look forward to the days where there was gym because that was, that was in my wheelhouse. You know, that's what I loved. Um, but, I, but I want kids to have that same passion for the science class that they come into with me or when they go to reading class. I, I want them to see all of those things as, um, as opportunities for them to make something amazing happen. And you currently live in Newfoundland, Pennsylvania? Yes, a uh, small town, uh, maybe about 2,000 people uh, up in the northeast corner of the state. Do you remember the exact moment that you decided you wanted to become a teacher? No. Um, <laughs> you know, like I said before, I, I, you know, I had been coaching youth soccer since I was probably about 15 or 16 years old. Um, I had been uh, coaching, you know, the younger kids uh, when I was in high school uh, and refereeing. And, um, you know, I was really uh, – and that, that continued uh, throughout college and, and somewhere in my high school career, I decided that I wanted to work with kids. But I, I don't know that I ever saw – uh, teaching as, as the profession that it really is. Um, and, and that's, that's one of the things that we really have to focus on is, you know, I think, I think that misperception of what teachers do is out there. Um, everybody thinks, well, I was in school, so I, I kind of know what, uh, you know, what teachers do. And, and it's just not, it's, yeah, <laughs> you know how it is. Um, yeah. it's just, it's just not true. P- people don't understand the magic, uh, that it is to be a teacher. You know, I, I really believe that teaching is the greatest job in the world. Uh, not only do we get to, you know, make a difference in the lives of our students every day, but we get to teach the next generation how to change the world and and make the world a better place. Um, And I think had I seen that when I was in high school, it would have been an obvious choice for me because I I wanted to work with kids. Uh, But for me, I kind of stumbled into it. I lucked out. Um, I really wanted to coach. And so I chose teaching as a career that because I I thought it would allow me to, you know, stay on the soccer pitch coaching. Um, And then once I got into the classroom, I realized, you know, this is, this is what I was meant to do. So what was your major in college? That was elementary education. Okay. So, I mean, I, I chose teaching, um, like I said, probably for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I chose it because I wanted to coach soccer. And then you spent some time in Mesa, Arizona? I did. So uh, when I, the day that I graduated from the University of Scranton, um, I, I traveled with uh, one, one, someone who graduated with me, uh, a buddy of mine, and we went out to visit an old housemate um, from college that had graduated the year before us. Uh, and he was living in Phoenix at the time. 
And I had put in probably 35 different uh, applications into school districts in northeastern Pennsylvania uh, at the time. And while we were in Arizona, I saw uh, an application, you know, a, um, a job opening for a charter school in Mesa. And uh, I put in one, one job application in Arizona. Um, and wouldn't you know it, that was the one school that offered me a full-time job. Oh. And so, uh, you know, so I, I took it. Um, I figured it would be a good experience to teach there. Um, but, you know, after, after a year of teaching there in that charter school, um, I knew that I wanted to make a difference in the lives of the kids in my hometown. Uh, you know, Newfoundland, like I said, is a small rural area. And kids here um, often don't see the opportunity that's available to them if they, uh, you know, work hard at getting a good education and applying themselves and, uh, and developing their talents. And what I wanted to make up like of the students in Newfoundland. Yeah, it's, it's a rather undiverse area. Um, you know, the majority of our, our kids are Caucasian, uh, but there's a lot of, uh, economic issues here. Uh, the majority of our students are on free and reduced lunch, living below the poverty line, uh, a lot of drug and alcohol problems. Wow. And so, you know, a, a lot of times kids lack hope when they get into the classroom, they're dealing with some issues at home that no kid should have to deal with. And, you know, I really see our role as teachers, you know, one of our main roles, uh, to show kids how powerful they can be when they use their learning to make the world a better place. You know, when, when kids see why they're learning, you know, and it's more than just passing tests and quizzes on Friday and they, they see how powerful they can be, you know, that, that restores their hope. That, that gives them, uh, you know, a bright future, an outlook um, that, that is a little bit better than it would be otherwise. Now, you taught fifth grade for a number of years, and then you recently switched to science grades three to five. Is that correct? Yeah, I, there was a two-year period in between. So I, I taught fifth grade. Um, I, I was in a fifth and sixth grade classroom in Arizona my first year. And then I taught fifth grade at Wall Paul Pack for 15 years, I think. Uh, and then I switched roles, and I became a curriculum coach for two years, where I worked with teachers K through 12, but mostly elementary um, teachers would come to me and, and I'd spend some time with them during their planning period and they'd talk to me about the contents they wanted to teach and I would help them turn that into amazing experiences for kids. Um, and I did that for two years and I loved it. Um, but, you know, inevitably I missed, I missed my students. I missed having my own group of kids um, and, and having that kind of special bond that you have uh, when you have your own classroom. And so for the last two years I've been uh, teaching third through fifth grade science. So as the curriculum coach, you were out of the classroom, obviously. And then you went back as a science teacher, grades three to five. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was definitely out of the classroom, but I was I spent the majority of my time in classrooms, which was it was great to be working with students. Um, but, you know, often a lot of really amazing opportunities would come up. I'd find a Skype call with the you know, director of NASA or the International Space Station or, you know, you know, something something incredible like that. And then I'd have to go steal a class. I'd have to convince teachers that, you know, <laughs> to do that. And, you know, it wasn't hard to find teachers to partake in those great experiences. But um, I missed being able to just kind of fit that into the curriculum myself and, um, you know, shape my classroom the way I wanted to and, and build a culture uh, of student centered learning um, you know, in my own room. Did that experience allow you to become a better teacher? Sure, absolutely. The, the, the more you, you know, I, I really believe in having a growth mindset. And I know that's a catchphrase that goes around now. But, yeah, I don't think we can ever stop learning. And for me to be able to experience the great things going on in so many different classrooms during those two years uh, allowed me to, you know, borrow or steal uh, some of the, the great, you know, things that other teachers were doing and incorporating into, into my own teaching. So, absolutely, that was a, that was a great experience. As Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, what is the message that you've been sharing with colleagues and student teachers across the state? Well, my, my personal philosophy of teaching is that 
the solution to every one of the world's biggest problems are locked inside the passions of our students. And that our job as teachers is to give kids the key to help them unlock uh, those solutions. And so we need to make sure that the learner is in charge of the learning. We need to give kids global experiences uh, because we want kids to change the world, but it's hard to change the world when you don't know a lot about it. Uh, and so, you know, especially being in this, you know, small rural area where kids don't have a whole lot of global experiences or experience with other cultures. Um, we use a lot of Skype and video conferencing to connect with, you know, scientists, other classes, uh, you know, foreign language speakers, social do-gooders, you know, non-NGOs and, and um, nonprofit organizations that are doing good around the world. And we try and connect the learning that, uh, that we're doing in the classroom to the things that those other people then we try and allow kids to get involved in solving problems that they identify. And so I, I wait for magic words uh, for, for my students. You know, when we have those different experiences, I wait for them to say something like, uh, you know, wow, that's terrible. We should do something about that. <laughs> you know, that, that, that tells me that, you know, they're engaged. And, and once that happens, I give them the support, the autonomy, the resources they need uh, to go and solve those problems. And that's led to some great learning, uh, great experiences, and uh, some amazing projects that have developed over the years. From your classroom, you've connected with students in over 70 countries around the world and even the International Space Station. Tell us one connection that you've made and how has it enhanced your students' learning? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's hard to pick one and, uh, um, and really show the impact. So what I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story because, uh, you know, I like, I like rambling and telling great. narratives anyway. So, <laughs> so I'm going to take on a little learning journey, uh, you know, with a group of fourth graders that I had several years ago. It was actually my first year of being a curriculum coach, uh, and it developed into, into a little more. So uh, th this particular group of students, uh, they were fourth graders when we first started. And their fourth grade teacher came to me uh, in my role as curriculum coach and said that she wanted to get them involved in a Made in America campaign because that's what was uh, going on on Good Morning America or something at the time. Uh, and I said, all right, let's take a step back. And before we tell the kids what we want them to do, uh, let's just give them the problem. So uh, she asked the children to, to look at the tags in their shirts and notice where they were made. And the kids were surprised that most of them were made in places other, you know, outside the United States. And so without telling them what she wanted them to do, uh, I encouraged her to bring them to the computer lab and have them do research on, on you know, where their clothes are made and why. And uh, totally unexpected to both the other teacher and I, uh, the kids stumbled upon the problem of child labor, that kids their age were being forced to make clothing in foreign countries. And that resonated because they were the same age. And so the kids said those magic words, you know, we should do something about this. And so their fourth grade teacher started um, looking at, you know, doing, having them do some research and, and learn a little more about the problem. And at the same time, I found a teacher in India whose sixth graders were trying to solve the child labor problem in, in their country, in India. And so what we did is we connected those two groups of students and we let them uh, work together to put on a social media campaign using the information that both of them had gathered. Um, you know, they, they developed a website, they put out YouTube videos, trying to spread awareness of child labor. And so those kids became a little more socially aware. And so a couple months later, when we had a, a cultural exchange, a Skype call, where uh, we sang some of the songs we were learning for an upcoming, I think it was a, a St. Patrick's Day concert. Oh, um, so, yeah, so instead of the kids, you know, singing and practicing in the music room, we said, why not have a Skype call and sing those <laughs> songs to a group of kids that had never heard them before? And, uh, and so we did with a, a group of students in the Kabira slum of Nairobi, uh, which is, you know, the Africa's biggest slum, uh, abject poverty, you know, really rough situation. Uh, and in exchange, we had those kids sing to us. They sang their national anthem in Swahili, a couple of uh, songs, you know, about friendship. Uh, and the kids really hit it off. But after that call... 
um, my students came up to me and they said, you know, Mr. Soskal, we see the conditions that those other kids are learning in, uh, in Kibera. And we see our school and it's not at all the same, you know, we should do something to help those kids. And so there were the magic words again, you know? Wow. So, so we're in an economically depressed area. Like fundraising is not the thing that we go to first here. And so we put it back on the students and we said, okay, you know, what can we do that doesn't involve raising money that can help solve a problem for them? And what my students came up with was using the math materials that we have in our, in our school uh, to teach math conceptually through short videos. So, you know, we have base 10 blocks. The kids in Kibera didn't. So why not teach the, you know, base 10 number system using the blocks we have and put it on video so the kids can see it. But in return, we wanted to develop a relationship and we wanted to empower the kids we were working with. We didn't, we don't, you know, service projects should always be a two-way street. You never want one group of kids to feel disempowered or like, you know, they're receiving something without, you know, being given the opportunity to, to give back. And so we asked, because there's very few foreign languages spoken here in Newfoundland, we asked those kids to teach us Swahili through video back. And so throughout the, the course of the year, uh, our students would create math videos for our friends in, in Kibera. And in return, once a week or so, they would send us uh, a video of them teaching us the days of the week or the numbers in Swahili. And we'd play it over the morning news broadcast uh, so that everyone in the school could learn it. Uh, and so that went on for a while, and the kids really developed a relationship. And so um, there was a, a point um, you know, while that project was going on where we had a Skype call with the director of one of the schools we were working with. And the point of the call was to ask him, you know, what, what math concepts do your students need us to make videos on? Uh, but he did the call from outside of his school and it happened to be the rainy season. And after he was done talking with us, he said, Hey, let me show you a little bit of the slum. And he showed us the infrastructure of the pipes, uh, in the, in the slum there. And what my students learned was that lack of school supplies was not the biggest problem facing those kids in the slum that during the rainy season, the pit toilets would overfall overflow wow. and the water supply would get contaminated and the kids were getting sick and even dying. Oh. And so we partnered with a group of kids in Kansas and a group of kids in Greece uh, to raise money for water filters. Um, at that point we got involved in some fundraising and between the three different, uh, three different areas, we were able to raise over uh, $12,000 in water filters and I was able to, I wrote a grant to go over and document the learning gains from the math project um, and to hand deliver the water filters. And when I got over to Kenya and I, I delivered the, the water filters, uh, I set up a Skype call. Uh, it was a seven school Skype call, the two schools in the slum that received the filters and the five different schools uh, that, had, that had raised money for the filters. And, you know, that was probably the most powerful moment of my, of my teaching career because the kids in, in Kibera were, you know, hugging their, literally hugging their filters and crying. Um, it was the rainy season, and, and during the two weeks I was in Kenya, 12 kids died of cholera. There was a cholera outbreak there. Um, and so for, for them, those water filters very well may have, may have saved the lives of themselves or, or their family members. Um, but during the Skype call, I was able to you know, see a couple thousand miles away. I would see my own students through the screen. Cool and they, and, and they, you know, just, they had tears in their eyes too. And I knew from that moment that every one of the kids that was involved in that project and involved on that call, for the rest of their lives would, would know how good it feels to use learning to do good for others and would seek more ways to go and do that. And so I, I think that's, that's really the best illustration that I can give of the power of putting kids in charge of learning, allowing them to have global experiences, allowing them to identify problems, and then allowing them to solve problems in the world with the things they're learning in school. So that's, that's a long answer. but No, you know. that's a remarkable story. And I know I've seen video of you being interviewed in Kibera with the students, and <laughs> it just it melts my heart to be a teacher 
And what an extremely incredible experience you must have had. Yeah, I, I fell in love with those kids. I mean, I, I fell in love with them before I met them, you know, in person, <laughs> just through the screen from from dealing with them. So uh, with all the problems in Kibera, mm-hmm. and if they didn't even have base 10 blocks, how were they able to have the technology to Skype with you back home in Pennsylvania? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, the, the schools that we had worked with um, had developed a connection somehow uh, prior to us being involved where they basically, they had one laptop for about 300 kids uh, in the one school, in the first school that we started connecting with. Um, and the school director had an internet connection that he would bring, you know, a couple days a week. Uh, but he, he uh, you know, Jairus McCombie, who, uh, who was the director of that school, was a visionary. And um, he decided to leverage that one laptop and internet connection that he had to, to bring experiences to his kids. And through that, he was able to expose the, you know, Cheery Children Education Center there in this club um, to the world. And one of the teachers who was at the school there, but now has moved on and started his own school in a different part of Kenya, uh, Livingston Kagode, uh, became really an expert in bringing global learning experiences to kids. And, you know, because of the two of them, uh, really amazing things have happened for that school uh, since they started getting connected. So so really, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this, you know, for a lot of schools, that, that internet connection and that one laptop um, are an issue. And that's something that you know, when we look at global education around the world, connectivity and, and devices are certainly something we need to look at. But when we look at uh, the problems that we face here in the United States, you know, if, if that school in the slum with one laptop and one Internet connection for 300 kids is able to bring those kinds of learning experiences to their students, there's no reason why us as American teachers shouldn't be giving our kids the same opportunities. Exactly. And I want to know for myself, we're on a Skype call right now. I'm familiar mm-hmm. with Skype. How would a teacher do this in their classroom? How do they connect with a school in Africa or in Asia? You've connected with over 70 countries. What would be the first thing that teacher could do to get connected? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm going to give you a website. And this is, this is really a great resource for making those connections and for seeing some different ways that you can um, adapt them into your curriculum. So it's uh, education.skype.com. And it's a free website that Microsoft has put together, um, a Skype in the Classroom website that really has, um, you know, uh, different games that you can play. And we'll talk about Mystery Skype in a second. Um, but also guest speakers, uh, you know, hundreds, thousands of guest speakers uh, in all different uh, areas of science, you know, authors, illustrators, uh, social do-gooders, guest speakers, um, y- you name it, you know, uh, my kids have met penguins live on camera and elephants and, you know, we've gone to Antarctica and, um, you know, it's just been incredible and it's all totally free. You know, I'm, I'm a teacher. That's my favorite price. <laughs> you know, the, thing, the things I use in my classroom are free because that's all I can afford. So that's um, education.skype.com? Yeah. So that's, that's a great resource. Um, you know, I use Twitter a lot. Um, I'm a big believer in, in networking and using social media to connect with other teachers. We'll have the link on the show notes page. Now, Michael, what about the videos? Are those available for our viewers to see the videos that you've exchanged with students in other countries? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of videos are available on my website, uh, michaelsoskell.com. Um, but, you know, one, one, um, if, if we talk about an easy way to get global learning into your classroom if you've never done it before, uh, one of the things I've developed uh, is something called the Five Clue Challenge. And so as I've been blessed to, to go around the world and, and experience some different locations, I wanted to share that with, with my own students and with other students. And so I started this Five Clue Challenge. It's a website, fivecluechallenge.weebly.com, uh, where you can go, and there's about 100 different videos now. And it's uh, basically just me giving, or, or other students that have participated afterwards, or teachers, uh, giving five clues 
where after each clue, you stop the video. You let your students do some research and take a guess as to where you think the location is. Um, so, you know, if it was New York City, your first clue might be it's a, a major English-speaking, uh, you know, city in the world. And then your second, the second clue might be it's, uh, it's a city in North America. You know, so after each clue, your kids are doing research. Uh, you know, you're talking about how to use Google effectively, how do you, how do you search the Internet. Um, and they're trying to narrow down where you are. And so the clues become more and more specific as you play the video. Uh, and, you know, I, I've made those whenever I travel. And then I've invited other teachers and students around the world to submit their own videos. And so there's probably about 100 now. Uh, there's mystery location, mystery person, um, like, you know, who's this dining room named after? And then I'd give you five <laughs> clues or uh, standing next to a statue, you know, who do you think it is? Uh, there's mystery animal. If I've come across, uh, you know, interesting animals in my travels, uh, I've tried to shoot some videos. So that's a great way to get your kids exposed to some different places in the world uh, without doing anything other than playing a video. And I did uh, that with my students the other day. We had a blast. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and and my, my own children, my, my two kids, uh, when I travel, they love making the videos along with me. Uh, they've become pretty passionate about it. Um, but the next step up from that would really be something like a mystery Skype. So in mystery Skype, you know, everyone knows Skype, the platform uh, to connect with, uh, with other people. Um, and, you know, for a lot of teachers are scared to take that step into Skyping. But, but I'll say this about that. Uh, my grandmother is 95 now. Our 95th birthday is coming up next week. Wow. And she, and she routinely Skypes in with her great-grandchildren. So <laughs> if, she can, if she can figure it out and not be scared of it, you know, I'm sure the teachers can figure it out too. <laughs> and even but, if um, the teachers can't get it, I'm sure the students can help them. Yeah, and, and you know, it's okay to, to fail in front of your kids. Um, you know, we want our kids to be risk-takers and to, and to try new things and to, you know, we have to model that for them. And so as teachers, you know, it's okay to go out of your comfort zone. That's, that's how we grow. Um, but Mystery Skype is a game where if our two classes connected, uh, my kids wouldn't know where your kid's location is and vice versa. And just like we played 20 questions on long car trips uh, when we were kids with our parents, um, you know, our students would take turns asking yes or no questions to each other to try and narrow down the location. Uh, you know, and you can make it as simple as, you know, try and guess the state or you can go even more specific and try and guess the actual city. Um, and, you know, you have atlases um, to use or maps or, you know, you can project maps up on the up on the whiteboard so kids can cross out. Uh, you know, the states as, or countries as you go through them. Um, but I, I worked with Microsoft, Microsoft and a couple of other teachers uh, who were global learning experts to put together a soup-to-nuts guide um, that will allow teachers to get started doing that. Uh, and the, the website for that is uh, mysteryskypeonenote.com. Uh, and, of course, that's free um, for any teachers that want it. And that will tell you exactly how to get that going in your classroom. Um, and that will allow you to start connecting with kids from around the world. Well, that sounds uh, great. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's an amazing um, an amazing learning tool. And now, as a science uh, as a science teacher, um, map skills are not you know th th those kinds of geography skills aren't quite as important as they were maybe when I was teaching social studies. And so, what we've what we've adapted that game uh, to be in our science classroom is mystery animal. So my kids are learning animal classification, and they've actually put together a binder. Um, you know, almost like a dichotomous key, you know, for the science teachers out there that allows them to ask yes or no questions to try and identify the animal that the other class has. Um, and so we do a lot of playing mystery animal with, uh, you know, different scientists or college classes or other classes from around the world. Wow. What was it like meeting the president of the United States? <laughs> he has the softest hands of anyone I've ever <laughs> shaken hands with in my life. Uh, no, it was, uh, it, I mean, he does, but, um, you, you know, that wasn't my biggest takeaway. Um, President Obama was, uh, you know, regardless of, of how you feel about politics, you know, one way or the other, um, he was just a, a down-to-earth nice guy. 
Uh, and, you know, I met him as a, as a presidential math and science awardee back in uh, early 2014. And, you know, we, we happened to go to the White House on a day where the entire city of Washington uh, shut down because of a three-inch snowstorm. Um, but luckily, you know, we were visiting him at his house, so he didn't have to go anywhere. And we were, as long as we got there, we were able to meet him. Uh, but it was also the same day when Benjamin Netanyahu uh, was visiting the White House. And there was all kinds of problems with, uh, you know, Russia and Crimea at the time. Right. Uh, you know, it was right in that time frame. Um, and the following day after we all got our, you know, we got our 15 minutes, we all shook the president's hand and, you know, got to say a, a little piece to him um, and got to meet him. But the next day we got a tour of the White House and the White House steward or butler, I, I forget the, the man's title, you know, what his role is, but he's been there for multiple administrations. Um, but he was there and, and we recognized him and he, he knew that we were the teachers that were at the White House the day before. And he told us, you know, President Obama had a really lousy day yesterday with everything that was going on. He really had a rough day. Uh, but he told me right after you left the White House, he said, you know, my 15 minutes that I just spent with those teachers, that reminds wow. me of why I do what I do. Um, that, that makes it all worthwhile. And so for us, that was that was a really awesome feeling to know that, um, you know, as teachers, we were appreciated. Do you remember what you said to him when you shook his hand? <laughs> yeah, I, I said, hi, I'm Mike Sospel from Pennsylvania. And he said, hi, Mike. Uh, <laughs> you know, thanks. Thanks for everything you do for the country. And that was my <laughs> that was my one minute conversation with President Obama. Yeah. Now, that was with your math and science teaching award, correct? Yes. Yes. Correct. Now, did you go down there yet as teacher of the uh, state of Pennsylvania? No. Um, That's so- in April. OK. Well, the way Pennsylvania actually works a little different than other states. Um, and so uh, the 2017 will be my state year of service, um, and I will represent Pennsylvania um, on the national stage in 2018. So actually, I, I won't go to the White House until May of 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah, for that. Interesting. In addition to being selected as the Pennsylvania State Teacher of the Year, you were just one of 10 finalists for the Global Teaching Award. The other finalists were from countries such as Pakistan, India, United Kingdom, Australia, Kenya, Finland, and Japan. This award has a prize with $1 million, which is often compared to the Nobel Prize. How does a teacher from rural Pennsylvania make it as a top 10 finalist for the Global Teaching Award? That's pretty incredible. I I mean, you know, when you think I'm in my hometown of, you know, what did I say, 2,000 people before? Um, to end up on that kind of international platform, you know, uh, I was announced by Dr. Stephen Hawking, which as a science teacher was just the coolest thing ever. Um, you know, the, the Pope actually announced the winner, uh, Anand Al-Harub from, uh, from Palestine. Um, it was, it was definitely overwhelming and it's still a little surreal to look back at. Um, and you know, I, I don't really know if I have a good answer as to how I ended up there. Um, other than just doing doing what I could for students and, you know, following my own personal philosophy that kids should be empowered to, to be able to believe that they can change the world and given the opportunity to, to do it with the learning that they do in school. Um, and, you know, over time, as I've believed in that more and more and seen the benefits of turning learning back over to the learners in my classroom, um, you know, it's just kind of, it's, it's become a snowball effect where the more I see it work, the more I want to do it for kids. And, and it's just become a, you know, pretty amazing. And as kids have gotten involved in the projects that we talked about before, uh, they've gotten national and international attention. And, you know, one thing led led to another. And there I was. And the award ceremony was held in Dubai, where the winner was announced by the Pope. What was that trip like? It was amazing, but not for the 
reasons that most people would think. Um, you know, most most people, oh wow, Dubai, what an incredible city. And and you know, it it was it was it was great, and everything was over the top and the biggest or most expensive in the world. But you know, I'm just a simple teacher from rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, that's um, that was you know cool to see. But really, the amazing part for me was being in a room with, you know, we had there was a hundred. Uh, you know, uh, Global Teacher Res finalists, uh, you know, they, they announced top 50 every year. So there's 50 from the first year, 50 from the second year last year that were invited, and 60 were there. Um, so being in a room with 60 of the best teachers in the world and just soaking up that edu awesomeness <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was in that environment uh, was, was amazing. And then, you know, what's, what's hard to describe and what was pretty incredible is, uh, you know, the Global Education and Skills Forum is obviously it's one of the most prestigious and, and biggest education conferences in the world when it comes to education policy. And in that room, in the, in the plenary hall where um, everybody gathered to hear the big keynote speakers, the 60 teachers uh, who were Global Teacher Res finalists were sitting in the same place of prominence that heads of state and education ministers were sitting in. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's how it should be. Yeah. You know, if we want, if we want, right. If we want education policy, you know, worldwide, whether it's in the United States or anywhere else, if we want education policy to, you know, reflect what's best for students, then we need to involve the people who are carrying it out. We need to involve educators in, in those uh, discussions. And that, that was amazing for me at the Global Education and Skills Forum to see that the Varkey Foundation had put teachers in that place of prominence and given them that kind of role. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was one of my biggest takeaways. And we'll have links on the show notes page at newteacher.org. There are many heads of states from all around the world uh, talking about the uh, Global Teaching Prize. Mike, during your travel, how are American teachers alike and how are they different than the other finalists in the Global Teaching Award? I think every education system has its own intricacies and nuances. And, you know, certainly the American education system is no different. Um, but but I'll, I will tell you this. American teachers are as well respected as any other teachers in the world um, when you talk to people, um, when you talk to people internationally. And I know that's not always true here in the United States. Teachers are often vilified um, for political reasons. Um, but, you know, American teachers are exceptional. Um, we, we are some of the best trained teachers in the world. Um, the certification requirements here in the United States are um, are significant. Um, and I think the quality of the American teacher reflects that um, in general. And other people around the world recognize that. You know, we've, we've had more finalists for the Global Teacher Prize than any other country. We've had more top, top 10 finalists over the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, part of that is, is just um, access to the Internet and being able to ease of applying um, that we have here. But, but it also reflects the quality of teacher that we have here in the United States. And, and that's not a knock on any other country because, I mean, obviously I met, I met you know, teachers that are doing things that, you know, would blow your mind uh, from all over the world. So, you know, that, that's not to knock uh, any other country. But, but I think um, it, would, it would definitely be an eye-opener open, for uh, people who have bought into the negative narrative about teachers here in the United States because that's just not true. What was the application process like? So for the Global Teacher Prize, it was a, a series of essays um, talking about, you know, how innovative your teaching was or um, some, of the, um, some of the ways that you've promoted the teaching profession before or worked with pre-service teachers. Um, what you would do with the million dollars uh, was part of it. Uh, there was uh, parts of the application, obviously, where you needed letters of recommendation and that, um, but also links to places online where people could go to see examples of your work. Um, and so I, I actually applied the first year that the prize was uh, was in 
uh, in existence in 2015. And I was a top 50 finalist that year. Wow. Um, and then I was encouraged to apply a second time. And I was nominated by uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Wallen Paul Peck, and also uh, um, a teacher friend who I had worked with in South Africa. And uh, because of those nominations, I went through the process again a second time and, you know, had more luck, you know, the second time going through it. Well, it's very, very impressive. Well, thank you. What can you tell us about the person who actually did win? Hanan is amazing. And, and you know, um, some of the other finalists before, you know, the day before the announcement, I said, you know, I, I think it's going to be Hanan who wins. Um, and everyone kind of had their own opinions of who they thought, you know, they would be chosen. Uh, but, but the beauty of the Global Teacher Prize is that it's chosen uh, just like the Oscars or, you know, it's chosen by a panel of um, educators and, you know, business leaders and, and world leaders from uh, around the globe. Um, and it's audited by PricewaterhouseCooper, just like the, um, those award shows are. So, um, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, there's one person whose opinion can, can sway. You know, it's really, it's really a voting process. None of us knew um, at the time. But Hanan is one of the most amazing women uh, and most amazing teachers I've ever met. And she is a, a wonderful representative of the teaching profession. And, uh, you know, if you watch the video of when she was announced, I just, you know, naturally broke into the, the biggest smile and grin on my face because I just knew that she was the perfect choice. What country uh, her, was she from? She's from Palestine. Okay. And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of violence uh, that goes on uh, in her area, in Ramallah. And so a lot of her, a lot of her students are victimized by the, the violence and the trauma that they see um, out in their neighborhood. And so she's developed a way of teaching children nonviolence and, and curriculum through play um, that allows them to grow and be global citizens and to overcome some of the things they're seeing in their, in their area. Uh, and that's spread uh, into a nonviolence platform that is spread to, to teachers uh, that are using it in other places as well. So, um, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better or anyone fulfilling the mission of, of a teacher uh, more than Hanan. Uh, she's just an amazing individual. And the prize money is $1 million. What would you have done with that money if you had received the uh, award? Yeah, every one of the top 10 finalists that I talked to from, uh, from any of the years that the, that the prize went on, any of the first two years, because um, it's only, you know, this is only the third year right now, and they haven't announced uh, this year's top 10. But any of the finalists I talked to, um, we're going to give it away in some way. We're going to give the money away in some way um, to, to fit their own passions and what they were doing uh, in education. And for me, it was no different. Uh, I believe in in global learning, I believe that children all over the world should have access to uh, the type of global learning experiences that my students have. And so I was going to use the money to promote, um, you know, internet connectivity in, in some of the third world countries that we work with uh, to make sure that uh, students around the world had access to, to being connected and to learning from each other. And, to, um, and, I, and I was looking forward to, you know, if, if it were to be me, I was looking forward to promoting the kind of uh, education that I know works uh, to different places around the world. Now, you said you've Skyped with over 70 countries, including the International Space Station. Tell us about that particular event. Yeah, the ISS. Yes. Um, the, actually, you know, most of those experiences were through Skype, but, you know, sometimes we use other platforms. Uh, and that, that particular field trip was not through Skype. Um, I, I want to believe, I want to say that it was through Discovery Education, um, and it was run by the White House. And um, I had a small group of students. Um, I think it was the gifted students uh, in our school at the time because I was working in the role of uh, curriculum coach um, who were able to send in their STEM questions uh, into the International Space Station through the White House uh, and then get answers. Um, so, you know, it was, it was wild. You know, kids yeah. were just blown away. What an experience. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I, uh, my son was one of the students that was in that group, and he still talks about it to this day. It's been <laughs> a couple of years, but yeah, it's still one of his favorite school experiences that he's had. Now, when you went to Dubai, were you able to take anyone else from your family? Yeah, my wife and my mother came. Oh, uh, nice. With me. Yeah. My, um, you know, with, with, um, you know, it was an amazing experience, but it was also an incredibly stressful experience. And so, you know, my wife is so supportive and she's incredible. And I, I know that I couldn't do the things that I do, um, if it wasn't for her. And, and in addition, she's an amazing biology teacher in her own right. Um, she was, okay. Yeah. She was, she was a state finalist for the presidential award for math and science teaching, uh, last year, um, for the work that she's doing in her biology classroom. And so in a lot of ways, I, I, it's great to be able to have those conversations over dinner and to learn from her. Um, so obviously I, I wanted her there to, to support me. Um, and, and just to share that experience with me, uh, being a top 10 finalist. Um, but my mother also said that she wasn't going to miss it. So, <laughs> so she, she, she booked a flight and came along with us and, uh, and got her own room and stayed there too. So in all the speeches and appearances that you've made, both as the Pennsylvania state teacher of the year and a top 10 finalist in the global teaching award, what is one thing you've collected during your travels that has very special meaning to you? Ah, oh, that's a, that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever <laughs> asked me that before. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm a photographer. Uh, I was a, uh, I've self-taught semi-pro photographer. I've sold some prints. I've done some, you know, photo shoots for different people. And so I think the, the most precious thing that I've brought other than memories from the different places I've gone, uh, is pictures. Um, you know, I, I love, I love being able to capture a great picture of a place that captures the mood and the emotion, uh, that I was feeling of the time. And so, you know, as I travel, I try and do that. Uh, and now, more recently, um, the Five Clue Challenge videos that I'm able to shoot and share with students. Um, I, love, I love being able to create those learning opportunities as I go and uh, to give them to other people. Do you have any idea how many of the uh, Five uh, Question Challenge videos have been seen? Uh, you know, I guess I could go on YouTube and count. Um, you know, uh, probably I would say most of them probably are in the anywhere from 50 to 100 views. Um, so, you know, multiply that times the 100 videos that are on there. Right. Um, you know, and and it's it's just growing. That that site's only been up for a couple of years, um, and people are just starting to notice it now. And that's some commitment on your part. That's a lot of work. It, you know, it it seems like it would be, but um, it's not. You know, we use Weebly, which is a, a free website. Um, and you know, as long as the video is up on YouTube, which is pretty easy to do, um, all I have to do is just you know click and add a link, and there it pops right up on the site. So, um, yeah, it's really not that much work for me, but, uh, but a, an incredible payoff and a great benefit for kids. What is one thing a new teacher can do tomorrow in their classroom to become more effective as a teacher? Realize that the learning belongs to your students and not to you. The more control you, you try and exert over them, uh, the more you're stealing their opportunity to be a, a, a self-driven learner. Um, and, you know, think, think about how we learn as adults. Um, you know, think about the books that we were forced to read in high school and the books that we read for pleasure. Nobody enjoyed the books that they were forced to read. <laughs> you know, when we think about the books that we love, they're the ones that we chose because we wanted to, um, because we wanted to learn something or, the, or you know, uh, they just seemed interesting to us. For some reason, when we're told to do something, um, it becomes less fun and less enjoyable. And so, you know, almost every school's mission statement has something about developing lifelong learners. And if we truly want to do that, that we have to give kids autonomy over their own learning. Now, in your classroom, what is your setup with the computer's technology? How many computers or Chromebooks do you have available? Yeah, we are not one-to-one, um, uh, not even close. I have five desktop computers in my science lab, uh, in addition to one iPad that I got somewhere along the way and a couple of Surface Pro tablets. So um, five desktops and three mobile devices uh, that we use. 
Uh, there are two computer labs in our school um, that we're able to use if they're not signed out um, on occasion. Um, but, you know, I, I think we're probably in, you know, middle of the road technology-wise. Um, I could probably do more with kids if I was one-to-one, -one, but I could probably, you know, be in a worse situation also. Um, I really don't think that the level of technology is as important as what you're doing with it. Um, I think sometimes we focus on the technology too much, even though I'm, I'm considered an ed, ed tech guy. Um, I think that really the focus needs to be on the learning. And before we even get into what you're using the technology for, we have to identify what the learning experience is for kids that we want um, and then find the tools that kind of fit, um, that you know are available to us and that fit what we're trying to do. Michael, what is one book you could recommend to our new teacher listeners that would help them become a better teacher? Well, I'll tell you two of the books that I've, um, that I've read recently. Um, one that I'm constantly reading. Uh, I just go back and reread a little bit here and there, and um, you know, it's, it's dog-eared and beaten up. Uh, it's a book called Flip the System uh, by a friend of mine, uh, Yelmer Evers, uh, from the Netherlands. He was a top 50 finalist for the Global Teacher Prize uh, with me both in 2015 and 2016. And it's really about the teaching as a profession and how we need to um, both be seen as, as uh, professionals more. You know, I, I really think that if we, in order for us to get the education system that we desire and the excellence in our schools that we want, we have to start teaching, uh, you know, treating teachers as professionals. And this book talks a lot, that, about, a lot about that. But it also talks about how we view ourselves as a profession and how the need for us to act more as a profession than we do right now. You know, if, uh, if a heart surgeon developed a new heart surgery that would save lives, it would be their professional obligation to publish because it's, it's good for them to share that because it's good for other people. But yet there are millions of teachers around the world who are doing absolutely incredible things in their classrooms but are too humble to share. You know, it never, it never spreads beyond their classroom walls because they think it's obvious because it's what they, they do every day and they don't think it's that big a deal. Um, but, you know, if we're going to really develop into a profession and be seen as professionals, we have to share those stories and allow other teachers to learn from us. So right. Flip, the System, Flip the System by Yelmer Evers is a real thought-provoking book just about how the educational system is structured around the world uh, here in the United States and other places. Um, a more practical book if you're looking for real ideas on how to make your classroom more student-centered and, uh, and engaging for kids uh, would be a, a book by my friend Matt Miller uh, called Ditch That Textbook. And it's really about how to get away from scripted lessons and bring great experiences to kids. Matt Miller was actually our guest on episode number 18 of there you the go. Teacher Podcast. Did you there hear you that go. episode? I, actually, I didn't, but I did. I did. Um, I saw that he was uh, a guest of yours. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, and that wasn't planned. I had totally forgotten that when I recommended his book. So. <laughs> okay. And so what would you say is one internet resource that has helped you become a better teacher you could share with our listeners? You've mentioned so many resources you've used online, but if you had to pick one, what would it be? Uh, Skype, absolutely. Uh, Skype, the Skype in the Classroom website that I mentioned, uh, and, and Twitter to be able to make connections. So there's three. But, but, but Skype is the primary because that's, you know, I don't think there's a more transformational learning tool that I've come across in my career than Skype because it allows me to do things with students that weren't possible 12 years ago. Are there you know, ever any issues with the time zones when you're communicating with other schools literally around the world? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and so there's a couple ways that we overcome that. Um, you know, obviously, if, if we're Skyping with a group of kids in Taiwan, um, you know, we can't do it live unless one of the classes comes in at, in the middle of the night. <laughs> and so built into the Skype platform is the ability to send a three-minute video message. 
And so we've done things like the mystery Skype game that we've played before, where instead of doing it live, uh, my students would come in in the morning and ask a question to our friends in Taiwan. Uh, they would come in in the morning, see the question, answer it, and then ask a question to us. And we'd do that over a couple of weeks until we tried to guess, you know, the I other. I love that. That's such a neat yeah. idea. So that's, that's one way to overcome. And actually, uh, one, of the, one of my motivations for coming up with the Five Clue Challenge uh, was to overcome time zone issues because we wanted to play Mystery Skype with places and we couldn't do it live. And so uh, if we didn't want it to be a couple of week, um, you know, commitment, uh, we would just give five clues to the other class and they would give five clues to us. And eventually I said, you know, these videos are so good. We've got to get them up on a website. Do you have an inspirational teaching quote to share with our listeners? You know, there's, there's so many, um, you know, I, it's not a teaching quote, but, and, and it's overused. Um, I want to, I want to think that I had it before most people were using it, but I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Mahatma Gandhi and, uh, you know, the, be the change you want to see in the world, um, is, has been something that I've tried to live my life you know, modeling after that quote. Um, you know, I've got a little book of Gandhi quotes that sometimes I'll read just when I'm needing some inspiration or needing a pick me up. So yeah, that, that would be one that, um, you know, and, and there's the Nelson Mandela quote, um, about education. You know, I don't remember the exact quote right now, but that education is really the, the basis of how we're going to allow kids to change the world or allow people to change the world. You know, that education has to be at the basis. And when you look at the United Nations sustainable development goals, uh, to improve, you know, third world countries and raise people out of poverty. Um, you know, education is one of them, but education is really the foundation of all of those goals. And so, you know, that, that's what I would look to. Michael, what's the best thing about being a classroom teacher today? I, I think the ability to connect with others in a way that wasn't possible. You know, you know early in my career, I, I've always believed in service projects. Um, and a lot of those projects you know, obviously happened in our local community uh, in the beginning of our career. I remember um, teaching fractions through, you know, kids actually making a Thanksgiving meal for kids in need and, uh, you know, doing stuff for the local food pantry with food drives and, you know, raising money for the, lo- for the American Red Cross during disasters. But, um, you know, Skype and other tools that allow us to connect across the world have, have totally revolutionized what's possible in the classroom. And so for me, being a lifelong learner and, and being so excited about learning new things, um, being able to do that along with my kids using the kind of technology that's available today, uh, that's, that's always exciting. You said it, yes. Michael, you ready for the final minute before the final bell? Sure. We'll be back right after this message. Teacherlingo.com is an online marketplace where educators can buy, sell, and share teaching resources with one another while earning royalties as high as 85%. Standard membership is absolutely free and allows you to earn a higher commission compared to other sites. Premium membership is only $49 and allows you to earn 85% royalty with zero transaction fees. Whether you're a new teacher or a veteran teacher, why not supplement your income with proven activities and lesson plans that you've already created at TeacherLingo.com? And we're back. Morning person or night owl? Morning for sure. Mac or PC? Uh, right now, I'm on a Mac, but I use my Surface Pro tablet just as much, so both. Favorite book from your childhood? Uh, the Physics of Baseball. First paying job? Uh, Subway Sandwich Artist. <laughs> One television show you try to watch every week? I love Madam Secretary. Latest music download or song playing on your iPod? <laughs> the, actually, it's the um, soundtrack from the Broadway musical 1776. 
One famous person that you would invite for dinner, either living or dead. Mahatma Gandhi. It's a snow day in Pennsylvania. What will you do with this unexpected day off from school? I probably have uh, appointments set up with teachers from around the world that don't have snow days, so I'm probably going to be talking to them on Skype in some way anyway. <laughs> the next item on your bucket list. Uh, I'd like to visit every continent. And there's the final bell. Michael, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, uh, you know, as you mentioned, my website is a great way to contact me. Um, I'm also always available on Twitter, at msoskil, M-S-O-S-K-I-L. Uh, my Facebook page, my Teacher of the Year Facebook page, is a great way to connect with me. Uh, it's facebook.com slash P-A-T-O-Y 2017. Um, yeah, any, any of those ways are a great way to get in touch with me. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I know you're a very busy guy, and I appreciate you joining us here on the New Teacher Podcast. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Michael. Be sure to visit the show notes page at newteacher.org to learn more about Michael and see video footage of the children in Ghana interviewing him. Here in New Jersey, it's Memorial Day weekend, and we have less than one month of school left. I know many listeners are already done with school by now, but that's not the case here. This summer, we'll be updating newteacher.org, including rolling out a brand new website and even an exclusive membership area to get you through the next school year with action steps, monthly challenges, and even teacher prize boxes to keep you motivated for the next 180 days in the classroom. If you're not already on our mailing list at newteacher.org, I'd like to invite you to sign up, and we'll send you a special invitation to join the group as a charter member once the doors open. Next time on the show, it's Jennifer Brown, Alabama Teacher of the Year. Jennifer teaches high school science. If you enjoyed the show, please tell someone. This is the New Teacher Podcast, and that's it for episode number 23. I'm your host, Anthony Arno. Be well.